Welcome everyone to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast, a place to come together to meet other passionate Jewish women from around the globe. We here value unity and we come together from different backgrounds, places and stages in life. We focus on what unites us being a Jewish woman. We believe that every woman has a beautiful and unique light to shine to our community and to the world. In these podcast interviews, we find the light in others, and we learn from everyone. These are the topics that matter most to you and empower you to be the inspired Jewish woman that you want to be. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another fabulous interview with Inspired Jewish Women. This is like the highlight of my day. I rush home from Carpool to put on my Zoom and meet these incredible women. This is <laughs> Stephanie Pollock, everyone. Say hi to my dear, dear friends. Wow, we go way back. 13 years ago. Yes, I was a dorm mother working in a school, a seminary in Harnof in Jerusalem. And Stephanie was one of my prized pupils. You know, we call it like a, a bat bayit, a house daughter. I don't know how to describe that in English, but Stephanie was that girl. And you've always been my aim by it, my house mother since meeting you that year. That was amazing. I've taken so much from you been in my life ever since. Oh, I love you so much. It's a very humbling experience. I'll tell you when you're a teacher or when you're a mentor and all of a sudden your student or your, your mentee becomes your teacher. So that is what happens over here because, you know, I thought I was giving something of content. This is how you be a Jewish wife, a Jewish woman. And then, you know, through the years, through the challenges and through life, you have just always taught me what it really, really means to have faith, to be strong, to be a Jewish woman. And I'm so grateful for this relationship that keeps giving. There's so much to say about you, but Stephanie is a powerhouse and she's a voice for Jewish women around the world. You have touched thousands through your interviews on podcasts, through your mic drop that went viral and just how you touch audiences with your authenticity, your vulnerability, sharing of yourself and your struggles so that you could help other people. And I've learned so much from you as, as someone that has been a single mom for so many years and has raised this incredible son, David, who is nine years old now, how you have overcome your grief, your struggles with faith leading your way. So I'd like to talk about that today. We have an incredible audience of women that join and listen in every time we have women coming on to this platform. And I know that they will hear what they need to hear and connect to your story in a way that will really, really resonate deeply with them. Give us a little bit of background. Let's go back to newlywed Stephanie, you know, living the dream, bliss, and having your whole world coming crashing down on you. So I had gotten married for the first time in 2010 to my high school sweetheart. Um, we started dating when we were 15, 16 years old. And there were red flags while we were dating all those years. I was a very naive girl. And I guess I just didn't know the extent of it all. And I didn't understand the depths of what these red flags really indicated full picture. 
fast forward to 2010, we got married and we relocated both together. I did not want to live in the tri-state area. We were both from the New York area and I wanted to leave the cold and he wanted to leave the influences around him. And we both wanted to go someplace warm. We relocated down to Hollywood, Florida, where I lived for almost 10 years. And shortly after getting married, there were a lot of behavioral changes and attitude changes. And on top of that surprise, I got pregnant, which that wasn't part of our plan. My son, David, is the biggest bracha in my life. He is full of blessing and joy and groundedness. Anyone gets to meet him, they see where I get it from. I get it from him. He's always kept me grounded along the way. And basically seven months into marriage, I'm 21 years old. I find out that I'm pregnant and all the changes of behaviors and actions and attitudes, everything got louder. We're just more present. And again, I didn't know what ended up happening to me was that I ended up becoming more and more alone and isolated, feeling empty. But I was scared for this baby to come because I was so alone. But at the same time, I was waiting for this baby to come because I needed to have more of a purpose in my life, just like needed to do something else for someone else and just needed to be doing. So like the ticking clock of the end of pregnancy just couldn't come any faster. But also during the pregnancy, I was about eight months pregnant where my late husband just confronted me. I didn't realize how bad things were. And he owned up to it, that he had a problem and he needs to go away for 10 days. And when he comes back, everything will be fixed. And he was on the phone call and I'm like, do what you got to do. I'm your wife. I love you. I support you. I'm always going to be here for you because that's my job. That's my duty as a wife. And I was overhearing the conversation from the other room and I hear him talking about opiates and painkillers. And all of a sudden I start Googling. And again, I'm this naive girl. I wasn't raised so sheltered, but I never heard of these words before. And I hear him talking about, you know, needing to go and detox for these drugs that he was addicted to. So Stephanie, when you heard that at this point in your marriage, and you've been together with Mati for years already, did it come as a shock to you? Did you know it even like deep down that something was so off? There were definitely times where I did not listen to my gut. Mm. I absolutely did not listen to my gut. It's kind of hard when you're pregnant. I don't think I was hormonal. I think I was too numb and too isolated to even tap in, feeling so alone throughout so much of my pregnancy in the beginning of my marriage. Like I say in my mic drop, I really started to rely on the nanny. Nanny Fine from the show and Friends, those two shows and the Ellen DeGeneres show. Anything that can bring me laughter and joy and happiness for a temporary moment, I DVR'd every episode just to keep me focused elsewhere and at least it was positive. At least it was good. And sometimes I, I, I saved up my DVRs. I knew I was going to be abandoned because of the drugs. You know, it wasn't him. It was the drugs. It was the disease. Like he had a heart of gold and he was an amazing man. He was sick and he struggled with this disease for years. But I just didn't know the extent of it when we got married, because there were times where we were broken up because my gut was telling me to break up and I listened to my gut, but then I got back in because I wanted something so bad. I also was that fixer. I was always that fixer, that people pleaser. Those were like the core of who I was. That was my identity. And that's where I felt needed, you know? So especially now I'm in this role as a wife, you know, this is amazing. I'm thinking I can do this role, but he's not present. But I was also itching for this pregnancy to come to an end because, you know, like, I can go into that like nurture mode, but 
for the sake of my own pleasure of like being needed, the place where I was coming from was not matching up, you know? Wow. So yeah, that's towards the end of the pregnancy. I became aware of his addiction and I got like two months left to this pregnancy and he so badly wanted to stop what he was doing. He always tried to find the easy way. Okay. I'm only going to go to detox for 10 days and I'll be fixed. Came back after 10 days. Eventually he relapsed and which I talk about on the mic drop, you know, in my ninth month pregnancy and what went crashing down over there. And it was painful. And then I became so consumed by it. And then eventually like, I couldn't even give my child the proper attention even before he was born, because I was too consumed by his actions and what he was doing and checking the bank account. And like, all of a sudden I'm like Inspector Gadget over here or Sherlock Holmes. And this became a full-time job that I gave myself. It wasn't like, you know, like this is what I need to do. But when he came out of detox the first time, he's like, Steph, if you notice me doing this, and if you notice that and whatever it is, like he wanted me to be the police. Became like the mashkiach, like the mashkiach, that's a a Hebrew word for person in the yeshiva that watches over the boys, like will call you out. And it's a very dangerous position to take on as a wife. There needs to be this healthy balance, but the problem in your situation was it wasn't a healthy situation. And all it led me to was to criticism. There was no compassion. There was no comfort. There was no, there was no respect. I didn't have any respect and I lost so much respect for him because all I was focusing on was give me your wallet at the end of it. I became so controlling and it's not my nature to do any of that. So I was even further removed from who I am. I I didn't exist. My being didn't exist. I didn't know who Stephanie was at that point. And it took me a long time. And I'm still, I'm still figuring out Stephanie, just like you're still figuring out Eve. Like that journey never ends. But like what my core, who, like who, what my soul, what my, what my job is, what my topic is in life right now. I only figured that out only a couple of years ago. And it took everything I experienced in my previous marriage to get there, you know, and there was a lot of trauma that was there that I've, that I've worked through. And then I'm continuously working through because it comes up in different forms and at different times. I'm going to link the, the mic drop in the show notes over here so that everyone can hear the full story, but I'd like to fast forward a little bit because you went through terrible loss. You lost your husband as a young bride. You went through all of that. And then there was like the part where you picked the pieces of your life up and and built this beautiful new you and I I think of you from when I knew you back then and I look at you now and I see the the same root the same goodness because you've always been this this beautiful nishamala but you are a different person Stephanie I'm getting choked up over here like you have grown tremendously there are very few people in my life that I have seen go so far like you've taken your mess And you've brought it into your message. You Mm. have this powerful, powerful way how you walk through the world now, helping others. You're you're a coach. Stephanie's a certified life coach and she's an inspirational speaker. And there's nothing that you're afraid of just doing. Like you're just, you want to make a difference. And it's because of what you've gone through that has really put you in this position to help countless people. So I want to try to fast forward a little bit, give us a little bit more of a storyline to where you are today. And let's talk about what really pulled you through. 
you know, you're saying picking up the pieces happened before Mati actually died. So my journey to where I am today, once my son was born, I had hit my rock bottom. And honestly, it wasn't until I hit that bottom. And, you know, like once you're down, the only way you can go is up. I didn't even realize my courage and how brave I was and my courage at that time. I was in such doer mode at that point. I'm like, this isn't okay. I have a choice. I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't realize that it happens to be, I have the choice right over here. The book that like that defines my life. Dr. Edith Ager is like my real time hero. Esther Hamalka from the story of her is like my Tanakh, my, my Torah hero. And Dr. Edith Ager is like the real time for me, but I was in such despair and I've experienced that level of despair and hopelessness many times throughout my life. Just how long I stay there has changed and how I tap into removing myself from that place. I started going to Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program, you know, meetings for the loved ones of addicts. He was not ready to start on his proper recovery and do the things that he needed to do to live a life of, you know, abstinence, sobriety, et cetera. It did happen at times. But I couldn't wait for him. And honestly, my nature, my personality was like, we're going to do it as a team. Like, you know, you're going on a diet. It's like, let's do it together. We're going to hold each other accountable. And I thought that that's what we're going to do because we want to live a happy life with the white pick offense. And I, 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 I thankfully realized, even though there were times where I was hopeful that it was going to happen, you know, he'll see my motivation and where I'm coming from. And then he's going to jump on the bandwagon. It didn't happen that way. And I thought he was going to hold on to my hand, but I secretly needed him to hold mine. And, and that happens a lot in life, you know, whether it's from your parent where there's this codependency, this dependency on another person, I didn't realize it. So I started going to Al-Anon and my life completely changed because what I gained from there, and I always went to yeshiva. I went to a great all-girls school growing up in Brooklyn. I went to a fantastic seminary in Israel where I was very fortunate to have you come into my life. So I had the knowledge of God. He existed in my life. I knew that we had to pray. I knew that he said something to Bosha. I knew, I knew all these things. I knew that he existed. He was very removed from my life at that point because I thought that I had to be the one that fixed the problems because again, I'm that people pleaser. I'm that nurturer. I was one in control. I was one asking for his wallet at the end of every single day until I went to Al-Anon and realized that's really not a healthy behavior. Like I said, I got that introduction to, to what God really is in my life, that spiritual connection to a power greater than myself. It started to put things into perspective for me. Just that word, and I was telling this to somebody who I learned with, the power greater than myself. She doesn't like using the word higher power, something that's very removed and cold. Using that language, I said, I don't use that. I, I like to use the power greater than myself because it humbles me because I don't need to be the one in control. I don't have the power to do everything. I don't have the ability to make miracles happen. And the only way I can make miracles happen is when I see that God is the one who's actually performing them for me. I'm thinking that maybe some of our listeners are hearing you speak about the 12-step program, maybe not knowing the power of it. I have been in many conversations where people would put down the program. Seriously, I'm like, are you for real? It works. It's amazing. And it's so yeah. in line with Judaism. A hundred percent. Talk to that for a minute. They talk a lot about higher power in the program. Right. I feel that if someone learns about this program, it could make you so much more connected. Every Everyone should go through the 12 steps, honestly. It is the guide for life. 
You talk about powerlessness. There's talk of power greater than myself. Like I said, I don't use the word higher power. And in the 12 steps, it's a power greater than myself. Because again, you get humbled by it. And when you have humility, you have perspective, you realize that there is a power greater than yourself. And then ultimately, when you let go and let God, you give up that control, you relinquish that control. That's where you can find joy and you can find joy even through the hardships and the challenges. And really there's a process to it. So the first three steps is basically, I can't, he, God can, I'll let him because he runs the show. He brought me into this world for me. That's what I've gained out of it. He brought me into this world. He'll get me through this world. When I experience obstacles and when I talk with my clients, she's like, I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get over this obstacle. You're you don't want to just get over the obstacle. You want to get through it. Yeah. You want to see what's inside and on the sidelines of the wall. You want to see what you're working yourself through because it's not just overcoming the obstacle. It's building yourself up. Mm. You're only going to get stronger as your mind, your way through the rock and through the obstacle, through the hard place that you're in. Do you remember that song as, as children? I'm going on a bear hunt, you know? Yes. Go yes. over it. Can't go under it. Gotta go through it. It's really that. I love children's books, by the way. I reread them now. And I gave many children's books to adults who really could benefit from it. I think I can. And the little engine that could. Powerful muscles. Yes. I was recently, just a couple weeks ago, I was with a woman who was birthing a child. I was her doula. It was such an amazing experience. Yeah, mazel tov. And fly you in, God willing, next time I'm pregnant. (laughs) Amen. Amen. And so hard as someone that's an empath, like we feel for people. So every time she was in pain, I wanted to take away her pain, but I kept going to say, you have to get through the contraction. We're almost there. I'm timing it. I'm cheerleading. We have to get through each one, but each contraction brings you closer and closer to holding your baby. Like there's no way around it. Like we want the contractions. It's a good thing as painful as it is. And as you know, we want to take away the pain, but it's inevitable. We have to get through it to get to the other side, which is where we want to go. And just thinking back to this whole Corona period, great story that I heard months ago in the beginning of Corona. I heard this, I think it was Rabbi Nissel who wrote it as a Facebook post. He said he experienced a man coming out of his car door and hitting another car. And these two men kind of had this like, you know, experience where one car got hit with the other. It was totally a mistake. So the guy comes out of his car and he says, OFG. And he's like, excuse me? <laughs> like, you know, we know OMG, like, oh my gosh. Like we know all the, you know, the, all those short forms. Like if you have teens, LOL, yeah. but he had never heard OFG. And he said, yeah. what's that? And he said, opportunity for growth. <laughs> and I just love that because, you know. Only you can, from God. Oh, love it. Right. Just to have these quick pivot shifts of perspective, like, what are we going to do? You want to fight it out or should we get through this? I love, I love what you just like brought up about opportunities, you know, like in opportunities from God. And I, I shared with you, I think uh, the, uh, when we, like we spoke before on, on the phone, my father-in-law had shared, you know, about, you know, midlife crisis or, you know, when you're in, I'm in crisis mode, I'm in, I'm in this mode. And, you know, a person, like a a man gets over the age of 50 and gets themselves like a little tiny car or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, they're going through a midlife crisis. It's an opportunity. 
You can choose to see it as crisis mode, but then you're just blinding yourself and it's making it harder for you to lower that volume. You're eventually, you can't stay in crisis mode forever. You eventually have to do something. Whether you choose to do nothing or choose to do something, you're making a choice. You could choose to see it as an opportunity for, you know, let's say a person who's going through a midlife crisis. I feel like I've already experienced four midlife crises at this point. I'm 31 years old, but who, like, you know, in comparison, you know, in, in dog years, it's just a whole different ball game for me. Age is just a number, like I always say. Um, if you're looking at it as a crisis mode or opportunity mode, if it's going to get you into better shape and get you into do whatever it is that you want to do, so be it. Hmm. Seize that moment, take that opportunity and follow through with it. And so I had many of those opportunities where I stayed in crisis mode for a long period of time. Like I said, now I might take a couple of minutes of crisis mode, you know, but opportunity mode where like, I have to just gather myself and to kind of just like snap back into it, you know, OMG, OFG, you know, is it opportunity for growth? For me, I could see that everything at this point in my life is only from God. I'm very big on expressing gratitude because when you express the gratitude, you see where the source of it's from, all the good in your life. When you take a step back and you can see where the source is from. And you can think that source, all that source is going to do is give you more and give you more and give you more. It's this like hamster wheel. He's just going to keep going and going. So why stop? Right. You make a bracha. I, you know, it just, I recently had the, the blessings in my life of getting remarried to a phenomenal person. And I, I had to wait. I wasn't ready yet. And neither was he. And, you know, at the end of it, like while we were dating, I had told him, you know, like I've been praying for you my whole life. And especially once my husband passed away, I was back into that mindset of, of dating and remarriage. I've been praying for him, not knowing who that was. And for him, he was like, we're perfect for each other. He's like, cause I've been praying for you, not knowing who you were. When we talk about like our dating experiences and what we had to go through to get to this point. You know, for me, it was six years past my husband's death and raising David all this time by myself um, and not by myself. I had an army of support and, you know, I, as that main man in his life, I'm back in embracing, you know, the three mitzvot, the three commandments that women have, chana, chala, nida, and hadlaka nero. And I'm, I was reading this beautiful book on chala and they were talking about the blessings within it. And when you, the word bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, God. Bracha is from the same word of brecha as this reservoir. It's just this constant flow. And now once I read that, when I make a blessing on anything that I'm making it on, you are the constant flow in my life. I choose to have focus on, I'm making the whole bracha, but all I'm thinking about at times, depending on where I am in my life, I want to just focus my kavana is only on the word bracha because I want to see God as this opportunity of this ever flowing source of bracha. So my prayers, my tefillah is so different today than what I was accustomed to being raised as a saying. It's not necessarily from a, from a prayer book. I have things that I pick and choose today. And I feel that my relationship with God, you know, my spiritual relationship with God is like at this point in your life, Stephanie, I don't necessarily need you to say everything from, you know, cover to cover of from a prayer book every day. It's not where I want you to be right now in your life. Right now, I want you to spend three seconds on the word Baruch, you know, like that's where you are right now. Steph. this is where I want you to be right now. Not only that, I want you to remind the other people to other people in the world that the word Baruch and the word Brecha, the word blessed and the word reservoir are from the same root. 
I, I forgot what you said earlier to get us into this topic. I don't know, because we're, we're, we always go full circle. But I, I heard a beautiful point the other day. You can't just go and fix the fruit. You see, like, you know, it was something that I heard on Tubishvat that just passed. And, you know, you, you have this, this, this tree and the fruit aren't growing. The fruit are maybe rotting too quickly, whatever it is. You can't just fix the fruit. You have to go to the roots of the tree. You have to dig deep and fix the roots. Maybe you need to uproot them and put them in a different soil, whatever it is. And then that changes what comes out of it. What can, what can flow through it. Right. I want to take a step back for a second, if that's okay. We spoke about how your late husband brought you into the 12 step program and how right, you, right, right. you ended up doing it for yourself. Like he wasn't even always on board and you were like, right. I have a lot. You didn't need to be on board. It was for right. me. I learned that. And then tell us a little bit how you found your own 12-step program um, with eating disorders. I'm sure so many people that are listening would benefit from a program like this. Tell us about walking into that for the first time and how that opens another whole door and has enhanced your life. I started in Al-Anon and and like I share in the mic drop, it's just a little background on that one. It was my 25th birthday, which happened, I did not know at the time, but Mati was going to be passing away about six weeks later, but I didn't know that. And my entire life, I've always struggled with my weight, my insecurities with my body, my self-worth. I valued myself based on my body. You know, my worth was, was dependent on how I looked. It's very common for a teenager. It's very common for humans to get consumed by that. And I had gone through stages in my life from extremes. Like one extreme was the restricting, the binging, the purging, and the binging, not just on food. It was on exercise. It was on a lot of unhealthy behaviors where, again, I thought I could have this control over my body and I can have this control over my weight loss. Um, serious closet eating. I would go the entire day without eating a a thing, just drinking gallons and gallons of water and then come home at night after work and after working out and after all these things and just, just shove as much food into my body. And I'll tell you the first time I did, I, 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 I purged. It was, it was, I, I felt, I felt so in control. Um, I got that high but the crash was, I was so embarrassed of myself, of knowing the, knowing the consequences of it. It's not like I was blinded by it. I saw it around me. I saw people who were struggling with an eating disorder around me, like look at the point that where they got to. And I was just so focused on that. And what, an, again, I was so afraid to look inwards that I was so busy looking outwards. And all I saw was just the reflection in the mirror and I couldn't see past that. I couldn't even see inwards of like, of what was here. It was so muffled at that point. And then once I became aware of Mati's addiction, I slowly transitioned into the opposite extreme where I needed to binge and purge to muffle the sounds of what was going on around me and the stress that I was feeling. And here all of a sudden I'm starting to turn to food to do the exact same thing. And I'm shoving and I'm shoving and I'm shoving and it was endless bottomless pit. I was just consuming anything and everything in sight. And I did that for a while. And then I went on every crazy diet that existed. I did the bullies behind the ear. I did everything. You know, if they said I needed to do this, I I did that. You know, I did every diet that existed out there. The dissatisfaction was just so painful. And again, the shame of like, I'm so incapable of losing weight. I'm so, I just, I didn't feel good about myself. 
I felt empowered in my relationship with myself and Mati and his addiction, but I felt this total disconnect between Stephanie and herself. I still didn't find myself yet. And it was my birthday. It was May 29th. And I woke up that day and I always hated celebrating my birthday once I had gotten married because it was, it always just didn't have a good vibe. It didn't, it didn't sit well. Birthdays wasn't really like a big thing in my house growing up as much as I wanted it to be. It just like, I didn't get it. So it's just like, I'm never going to get that attention. So I'm just not even going to try for it. And, um, I woke up that morning and I took my son to school and I came back and I went back into bed, which is my usual routine. And I just tossed and turned and just felt like, okay, it's another year. Like whatever. It wasn't anything. Was that like your rock bottom? This was another rock bottom for me. I don't know where the, you know, that God moment came in to my mind. I don't know where it came from, but I took out my phone and I typed in overeaters anonymous meetings and I typed in my zip code and there was a meeting that was starting in 30 minutes from where I lived in Florida and I hopped in my car I didn't tell Matthew where I was going he was there in the room I just like jumped out of bed I put on like some sort of schmatty outfit and I just I just ran out of the house and I made it to the meeting and when it got up to me every room has their own format whatever and in that one everyone's like hi I'm this and I'm whatever it is and I just got there and I said, hi, I'm Stephanie. Today's my birthday and I need to do this for myself. I need to change something about me. This is my birthday. No one else is responsible to make me happy, to find this, this, this joy in my life, to find approval. Mm -hmm. I don't need anyone else's approval in anything in my life. I don't need any of this stuff. And, and I kind of, I just sat there and I listened. I didn't share anything more than that. I just sat there and I listened and then I went back. And I went back and I continued and, and that's, and I started my journey in a way at that point and fast forward six weeks later or so, mm -hmm. and Mati passes away and I uproot myself to New York for the summer because he died July 4th. And I uproot myself for the whole summer. And during Shiva, I continued to check in and I call in and I had, you know, people in the meeting who like, you know, kept me on speakerphone just so that I could participate. I allotted myself time during Shiva in order to do that. Wow. Um, because that was more of a priority to me in my life. And the benefit of that was that it was the first time I actually felt then in the moments I, 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 I felt the grief. I felt the pain that yes, uh, waves of grief come up constantly in our life at a different moments. But in that time, in that Shiva, during, while sitting there, I was able to be present enough. I wasn't numbing with food. I wasn't numbing it by food or anything else. Mm -hmm. I was able to really tap in and maintain that and, and devote myself to that because I deserved it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and my journey, you know, throughout OA has, you know, has always been there, whether there were times where I, I saw, you know, I, and I would always say this to Mati, abstinence does not mean sobriety, just stopping whatever it is that you're doing does not mean that you're living a sober life. Living a sober life is living life, not just putting it away. And like, you know, it's there because it's still going to be that stumbling block for you. If it's going to be right in center in your face, you can't just deal with the fruit. You have to get to the root of it. And I saw that in my own life because there were times where I became complacent and I thought I had it. And the mind plays so much, so many tricks on us. And I lived it and I've been living it. 
I've heard people say things like once an addict, always an addict. How do you mm -hmm. feel about that? Is this now that you're out of the woods, you're a healthy individual, do you still consider yourself a food addict? Do you still have to be really careful? For me, yes. Okay. You know, because I will forever have this struggle in my life. In a split second, my mind can play so many tricks on me. It's terrifying because I've lived it. As my life has been changing and progressing, you know, and, and evolving, all of those other things need to change and progress and evolve along with me. And if I don't take that along with me, I will end up falling backwards. And I did. I did have a slip. I did. I did have a quick relapse. And luckily, at, at this point in my life today, I know what I need to do to really pick myself up. My, my self-awareness that didn't exist back then is full on throttle there. And today in my life, this program requires a lot of honesty mm. and you could, you know, it's not just being, being honest with your sponsor or whoever it is. And the people who are in program with you, you have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And it took a lot of that. It took a lot of that. And I thank God I have meetings and we have to take the time to really think technology. It's good and bad. It's all about how you choose to use it. But the fact that there are meetings on phone lines and you know, interviews like this, there's so many good things that you could utilize it for. The fact that I've always had the opportunity to tap into a meeting when I need it, it's a bracha for me. That's really what it is because it grounds me and it humbles me. I really don't have this alone. I can't just, you know, like think that I can just float through life. You don't want to float through life. There are times where my mind convinces me that I can. It I'm was hearing that awareness is the key. And I think the opposite of being so mindful and aware of, of what's going on inside of you, probably the opposite, it might be denial. Because when you're in denial, you can't do the work. You can't move forward. I look at the word denial, it could be an acronym for don't even know I am lying. We've all been there. We, we go into these denial modes. Everything is good. Everything is good. I got this. But you can't lie to yourself. Without that self-awareness. You can try. You can't. You can try. It won't last. Right. You shared such a beautiful Dvar Torah with me when we spoke on the phone. It was about yeah. taking small steps. And I yeah. think that is a beautiful way it. to end this. Because like, how did you get from where you were to today? We could fill hours of recordings. We really can. I know. And I really encourage our listeners to look you up, to follow you, to find you. You have so much wisdom and light about you, Stephanie. It's just, you are a brecha. You are this wellspring, this beautiful pool of knowledge. So share maybe this Devar Torah, maybe if you could share it in a nutshell. Sure. Uh, yeah. Um, so like I shared with you, I was reading Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson's Bar Torah on this past week's Parsha of Yitro. And just to summarize it, God commanded the, the Levium to not go up the mountain and to stay at the foot of the mountain and not go up the mountain. And explaining because of their wardrobe, what they wear, it would expose them if they went up the mountain because you have to, you have to take big, you know, strides up. And I guess they were wearing robes. They or... wear robes. Yeah, robes, you know, and, and when it came, I don't know if like the time of the midbar, if that's what they're in the desert, that's what they're wearing. Everything in the Torah is so relevant to our life. It's not this outdated, you know, book, you know, with a great author. That's not what the Torah is. It's really a map and a guide and a tool for our life or literally it's, 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 it's our manual for life. And basically what Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson was explaining 
was that that commandment followed through into the Mishkan, into the tabernacle in the desert. And then eventually when they were doing their work in the Beit HaMikdash years later, and again, the people who lived in the desert, who went through the desert, were not the same people who were in, you know, the Beit HaMikdash. So like generations had passed at that point. And basically he was explaining that in the Mishkan, in the Beit HaMikdash, the, there were ramps. When the Levim had to do their avoda, their job in the Beit HaMikdash, they went up on ramps. Basically, what the message was, when you go up a step versus going up a ramp, your stride going up the steps are far greater and you have to separate, you have to open yourself up a lot more. Your legs need to be open more. And when you go up a ramp, you're taking smaller strides up. And that is life. There's this idea of fake it till you make it and just like, I can see how that makes sense. But it doesn't always. And there's room to be exposed. And then when you're exposed and you find out who you really are and where you are in that moment, you're not being true to yourself, it, you could crash again. It's not the same as when you're going up that ramp and you're taking those small steps up those, those, the, you're shuffling up the steps. When there's actual steps, we might feel like all energized one day. We might skip steps. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden I did lunges and I can do it. Yeah. But that doesn't always serve us well either. Like we need right. to be in it. We need to. I'm a, I'm a, I'm personally, I'm a klutz. So I, I'm going to end up falling. So I know I need the ramp, you know? Wow. So that's, I, I, I read it and I was just like, and again, wow. this is just from Matan Torah, just from when God created, like, gave us the Torah. And that message just went on from, you know, from the next, again, Torah is so relevant to our life. And if we just look at it as, as this opportunity, as a manual, then you could see more of God in your day-to-day -day life. God is not this removed higher power. God is he's a power greater than ourselves, but that means he's part of us still. Preaching to the choir, sister, a hundred percent. Wow. You know, the years that you were waiting for your Bashareth to come, and he is such a lucky, blessed guy. Wow, I, I still can't wait to meet him one day soon, but he is um, a gift. And I really think of, of those years, those lonely, long years of waiting, you needed to do all this work in the meantime, you needed to be shuffling up life, shuffling up that mountain there, you needed that time to become who you are today. And I just see that as, as a, a beautiful um, ray of hope to leave all of us today. I may have been alone, Eve, mm. but I was never lonely. Mm, interesting. Like I said, I had my son. I had, I, I, I have, I don't have, I have the people that God has put into my life at different stages in my life. It even throughout, whether it was from Mati, you know, from you 13 years ago, Mati, you know, at that, whatever point it was, you know, my marriage with him. And then the friendships that, you know, that have, have come into my life and have made its its way through, you right. know, the ones that are sticking, you know, the ones that are sticking there, they have an enormous amount that I get for, you know, like you were talking about having teachers, you know, I, you can learn from anyone in anything. Hmm. David is my biggest teacher in life. That's beautiful. I know that you and I, we connect through many things, Stephanie, but one of them is the power of the Jewish woman. 
And we get excited when we hear the stories of the Torah about Miriam and all, all the prophetesses and all the imahot, the, the matriarchs and all the women coming down all the way to Dr. Edith Eager, right? We're big fans of all these Jewish women that have paved the yeah. way for us. And I want to end with this really powerful teaching, but I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's something that I learned a couple years ago. It was a lesson. It was spoken by the Arizal, a holy Kabbalist from the 1600s, who said that it's going to be the women in the pre-Messianic times, like right now, the times that we're in, we are going to be the same souls, the reincarnated souls of the women from Mitzrayim. I know, chills, because I learned it and it was nice to read it in print, in the source, but there was a moment in time where I found myself sitting around and I'll go back to one year ago when you came to Portland and we were sitting in a large group of women. Saturday night, we had a Malava Malka and Stephanie led a conversation about self-esteem and eating issues. It was such a powerful group of women coming together, everyone sharing their own struggles, their own inadequacies, their fears, the way they were raised. It was so honest and vulnerable. It was so beautiful. Powerful. Like each one with their own struggles, with their marriages that they're holding together by a thread, with their kids that have disabilities or mental health issues or struggles. I know these women and I'm thinking like, she's struggling with finances. She's struggling with things that no one would ever know. Like women from all different backgrounds in a circle coming together, sharing their hearts. And that's when it hit me. We are them. The women that had the hardest generation that Miriam who was born, her name even reflects the time Miriam bitter. She was born into the darkest, bitterest time in our history. My eyes are watering up Eve. Just like it's just knowing, knowing that now, right? We are them. They are us. The Arizal tells us we're their souls. And what gives me hope and to end with this is one day soon, it's going to be us again that are going to move things forward and, and grab hands, Stephanie, you and I, we're going to grab our tambourines. tambourines. <laughs> we're going to be walking through, bringing the whole nation, our children that we've held together, our families that we've held <sighs> together in the most challenging times. Our generation is very different. We're not enslaved in the way that we were in Egypt, but this generation is so challenging in so many other ways. And we are those Nashim Tzidkaniot, those powerful, righteous women that once again are going to move our nation forward to better times. Wow. So, Amen. Uh, thank you for being such a light in this world. and, and such Thank an you, Eve. Thank you for this platform. It's so phenomenal. Oh. I'm so lucky. We're grateful to you, Stephanie. Keep shining. Oh, Stephanie, before we go, tell us how we could find you. Um, you could find me on, on social media, um, mostly on Instagram. My handle is at Stephanie Pollack, P-O-L-L-A-K. And if you would like to email me, it's stephaniepollackcoaching at gmail.com. And Stephanie, what's your specialty as a coach? Do you mainly work with women? Women, preferably over the age of 21. I don't really work with teens so much, not, not so much young adults. And um, the goal is really just to find their purpose, help them overcome the challenges, help them realize that they're not alone along the way and learn the tools. Like really every, every one of my clients come with a beautiful toolbox of tools that they end up learning and learning how to open that up and just know how to get the right one out and to just 
motivate and go through life, work their way through life. That's a gift. Every single person is looking for those tools and looking for their purpose. So that is so spot on. I'm very wow. lucky that I get to be in this field, honestly. Incredible. And take my learnings and my experiences and really give it over. And it's, I'm very fortunate. That's amazing. Thank you so, so much. Sending you all a big love, big hug. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening. We value that you are a part of our community. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and to learn more about the work that we do at Inspired Jewish Women, please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website at www.inspiredjewishwomen.com. Notice that we use the word woman and not woman in plural because Jewish women are most powerful when we bond together and we together can create amazing positive changes in the world. Bye for now. Hope to see you again soon so we could continue this conversation.